You are listening to Noteworthy Differences. Could you tell us about your uh, advocacy work and the areas of prison reform, uh, addiction support, and the uh, youth crime prevention? Yeah, look, so I'm someone that, you know, has been through the system as a young person. I'm, I'm now, um, I'm just finishing up law, a law degree. Um, I'm the president of my law society. So I'm really getting into that space where I can advocate better for people. Um, but having that lived experience where, you know, I know what they're going through and I know some of the barriers and some of the hurdles that they face, um, also with addictions, people struggling, um, so at, at the moment, I actually just got off a call with Deb Kilroy, and I'm not sure if you're aware of Deb, but she does a lot of work um, in this space as well. And okay. there's a proposed youth detention centre um, to be built where I am at the moment up in Cairns, and mm-hmm. we've been spoken about that. So we've just been actually, you know, the two of us, I mean, she is a lawyer. Um, she's the first um, lawyer in Australia to be admitted um, with a serious criminal history. She also spent six years in custody um, in the 90s, um, but, you know, does a lot of stuff and has worked with the United Nations and, and just incredible, incredible woman. And I'm um, so, so grateful to be able to really, you know, work with someone like that. And um, look, we're just using our personal experience to really, personal experience is about lived experience. It's really about sharing stories. Um yeah. And, and to those that, who listen, um, people to learn more about, you know, maybe what some people on the other side of the, the fence or the tracks are yeah. and on what they deal with. Um, I'm really big in the youth justice space um, at the moment. I mean, we've got a real big youth crime issue um, up here in Cairns and, and Queensland in general. Mm. Um, and I was one of those kids. You know, um, I was one of those kids out running the streets, um, had issues with authorities, um, addictions early on in life, um, you know, experienced violence and trauma and, and those sorts of things. And, um, you know, we're really only just starting to scratch the surface about some of those issues and why people offend. I, I was very fortunate enough last week to meet with um, Robert Fitzgerald, who he was on the Royal Commission into Child Institutional Abuse uh, for five years. Um, now, they spoke with 8,000 uh, child victim, victims of institutional abuse as children. So many of them were adults. Yep. Uh, 8,000 in total. Um, he spoke with 1,700 himself personally. Now, that's 8,000 stories, personal stories stories, people with lived experience of being in the system and, and experiencing that trauma and abuse. What they did then is they take those stories mm-hmm. and they made recommendations to the federal government to, you know, make changes in institutions, yeah. make changes to foster care systems, uh, residential care systems. So that's really what it's all about. And, and I'm just really playing my part as an advocate, still trying to learn how to better be an advocate, you know, obviously studying law and my my goal is to complete that and and get admitted so that I can actually then you know advocate in the courtroom. But um, I've spoken to Parliament a couple of times in Queensland as well about new laws um, and inquiries and things like that that are coming out. So you know already in the last year or two I've really started to yeah get into that um, advocacy space. Yeah, definitely. And um, you know obviously with a lived experience. Your story is more powerful and uh, definitely will reach 
know, you already know they will reach the people that your yeah. platform is yeah targeted to, right? Yeah, and yeah, and we can probably look into a little bit more. I mean, how do you utilize your lived experience to make a difference in the lives of individuals uh, struggling with addiction and yeah, those involved in youth crime in particular? Yeah, yeah. Look, it's um. Lift experience has been this term that sort of, it's, it's a bit of a catchphrase at the moment. It's been around for a couple of years and it really come in, in the mental health space. And it was those people working with, uh, you know, in addiction recovery, rehabilitation, um, rehab centers, um, and mental health space, just people, you know, in counseling psychology in that space. And, uh, and there's been a lot of studies come out that people with that lived experience have actually been better um, what's the word like facilitators and, and, and mental health care practitioners and workers, you know, and, um, I think from someone that's needed help in the past in, in that space, um, you know, it's all good to go and see someone that's, they've got their degree and, and all that sort of thing, but, you know, you really have a much, a better ability to connect with somebody that you can relate to that has been there as well you know there's nothing better i think for me person sitting down says you know what i know what you're going through because i've been there um i think there's a lot of people that it, and it's it's not their fault you know they just don't have that lived experience but there's a lot of people you sit down with and you know and they say i know how you feel but they don't you know they, they haven't been there and they walk your walk and talk and but probably pushes that person the wrong direction right what they're trying to incredible I think just for someone that is seeking help, um, mm. yeah, yeah. Also, I'm thinking uh, even someone without a lived experience, like it could even come off as um, you know, you'll have the negative ex- uh, aspect as well. You know, maybe they'll just push them away further. You know, yep. I, I could see that happening, and um, also some people could be mis- you know, disingenuous as well, right? So they don't understanding that person because they don't they haven't been in those shoes. So you know, it it might annoy them more and you know how connection is it and and doing a double law and psychology degree as well so i know a little bit about the psychology stuff i'm, I'm yeah, really it's good forensic psychology at the moment but um there was a there was a study um and it was in the uk it was a uk study and they had a shortage of psychologists and counselors and so they said look how can we maybe fast track um a program to get some people some more mental health um, support mm-hmm. and one had the idea of um, hairdressers hairdressers are the great right um, mm. you go to the hairdresser and you tell them your life problems and you come away with a, you know a new haircut or yeah, right. you've also been able to just sort of debrief and vent so they grabbed all of these um, hairdressers and gave them a short counselling course and, and you know taught mm. them to be um, psychologists and then they sent them back to the hairdresser um, and people come in there and, and they, you know, told them their stories and the hairdressers were then working with them. They found that they weren't as successful having the training that, you know, when there was just a genuine, um, connection and a chat, um, people felt like they were safe and comfortable and they mm. the hairdresser. And it's, it's funny because they expected the results to be, you know, after having this, um, training that they think we're actually going to be able to do a lot better work in that space and people would walk away feeling a lot better but it it was worse so it's really interesting when you look at that concept there that 
you know, sometimes it, it's that connection and that relatability with someone that, you know, is better, uh, better able to help someone in a situation than, you know, someone that's an expert in, in something that you can't connect with, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it definitely does. Yeah. And I, I can tell you as well. Yeah. Plenty of times you go to the, I go to the barber and, you know, I'm just, sometimes I feel like I'm rambling you know? and it's like, there are also some people, you know, like you even know when there's a particular barber, I'm not going to name any names, but you know, even they, they, they hear you out, but it's more like they're not listening, but it's like, it's good though. You know, you just, you let, you comes off your chest. Yeah. yeah. You get something off your chest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I get it. No, that's good. That's good. If you have any more, um, yeah, psych- uh, psychology insights as well, definitely throw them in. I love hearing about, um, psychology, but, um, apart from that, um, can we look at, yeah, some other social innovation projects uh, that you've been involved with, particularly. Yes, I um, whilst I've been at university, I, I actually joined a project. We we're really fortunate. It's um, youth justice uh, in Rockhampton. Mm-hmm. Uh, they wanted they they really had this idea that we uh, putting together some sort of short information, um, short videos for kids and at risk youth. Okay, so we're talking sort of um. Indigenous youth or those from low socioeconomic backgrounds or, you know, those that um, were offending and mm. putting together short videos for them to better educate them about how to maybe better deal with police, but also their rights and responsibilities as well. You know, to ask for a parent or a caregiver to come down um, if they're in the police station and that sort of thing. We call them law talks, so like TikToks, but they mm. were more and, um, as mm. a law. And I worked at, on that and really provided all the legal advice um, for that. And we had a drama, drama students from the university act out the roles of um, police and young people. Um, we were able to go to Rockhampton and present this to different community groups, um, community schools, um, and, and even the high school there, which was really great. So, and it was received really well. We basically presented them to the kids and got their feedback and, yeah, they thought they were cool. You know, we sort of made them funny and, mm-hmm. you know, someone's running from the police and that sort of thing, but saying, you know, you're best off, you're going to end up, you know, with a couple extra charges for that. You're best off just answering their questions and, you know, you say, hey, can I give my mum or dad a call or can someone come down to help me? So just little things like that, you know, how to, how to get ready uh, for court, how to get dressed um, and things like that, that, you know, it's really packaging that content legal content but hmm. making it not boring so that kids actually want to watch it and they think okay and they take something away from that yeah practical um, yeah that was really exciting you know i was glad to be a part of that yeah awesome but um did you you said um like it's a like a tiktok style video or whatnot but are they is it a tiktok account or is it uh, how do you how you guys um, showing it um, Originally, they were on YouTube and they were looking at maybe flipping an app or something. Um, one of the videos that they actually did was about a, um, is actually an app, and I can't remember the name of it, um, but it's an app where you can record your interactions with police officers and it would save um, those conversations. And it was really developed. At- if you love what you're hearing and want to support us, consider buying us a coffee on Buy Me a Coffee dot com forward slash nd podcast that's n for november d for delta podcast 
Your contribution will help fuel our podcast and bring you even more great content in the future. So thank you for being part of this podcasting journey. Uh, I think I've heard of that. We had that sort of, at, at the time, you know, it was just after all the Black Lives Matter sort of stuff and, and people being really critical of police and interactions. And a lot of people were sort of pulling their phones out and recording hmm. or arrests or um, things like that. So that's actually, it's called Cop Watch, actually. That's the name of the um, Cop Watch. Okay. They did a video about that as well and working with them and, and taught kids how to have that on their phone and how they can use it. Um, you know, cause there are situations where there's young kids and, 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 you know, they don't know what they're doing and, um, they need that support. We were trying to, we had to look at it through two different lenses. You know, we were looking at it for, from the lens of obviously law enforcement. How, how can we have kids that maybe, um, are better able to, um, reduce offending, you know, so don't run away tell them your name and address and comply with those directions so as, you know, not to have other charges um, later and just reduce that um, aspect. But then the other aspect was trying to protect the kids and they will actually, you know, it's, it's a two-way street and mm. uh, why don't we make sure that these kids are informed and they know that their rights and responsibilities when dealing with police. So it was really interesting because we were trying to capture those, you know, both sides there. Um, yeah, and it, it was cool. So... Yeah. Okay. And um, did you, I think, uh, I don't know if that's an, it's an American term, but for in Australia, is it, uh, you're, you're running for office or what, what do they call it here? I'm, uh, yeah, I am. I'm, I'm running for local council. Local here. council, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. It's, um, that's great. We've got a great team. I've got to say, it's a, it's a former MP here um, that took me under his wing and mm -hmm. uh, quadriplegic. It was the first quadriplegic I think first and only quadriplegic politician we've ever had in Australia. Okay. Uh, so he's fine to a motorized wheelchair. Oh, he had an accident mm -hmm. in his twenties. Um, quite well known here, um, and um, he's on council currently. And also a uh, former magistrate who was sent to me when I was a young person. That that's really interesting as well. So we worked together. Um, yeah, those two sort of you know former. Youth criminal, uh, youth offender with uh, the, you know, the magistrate, and it's um, it's great, and I find that 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 story in itself is really powerful, and people love mm. it because they think, well, hang on a second, you never would have thought that there would be this, you know, youth offender sitting down, you know, with a magistrate. It's just just really odd, and obviously there's been a lot of time, you know, between then. I'm talking mm. eight years or so, but. People really want to hear that story and find out, you know, what do we talk about? How did we connect? Where did we mm. find around? Um, so that's really cool as well. So I'm really, really lucky. To hear a bit more about like that, that, uh, that turning point, I guess, you know, from where you are now and in the past, did you want to share on there, like a little bit of a testimonial, um, you know, and then might encourage some youth, um, you know, that were are so, the situation. Yeah. It's, it's certainly a process and, and that's whether you're offending, that's whether you've got um, some mental health issues, whether you've got, you know, you're struggling with addiction. Um, mm. It is a process. I think everyone's always looks for that um, light bulb moment and they think that, you know, they can flick that switch and everything's going to be fine. Um, they're not going to struggle with an addiction anymore. Um, they're magically not going to feel depressed anymore. You know, there's a magic pill or something like that. And, mm. and 
you know, I really tell people that from my own personal experience, it was a series of steps and it, and it took many years. And I actually did another interview last night where I, I said, look, um, for me, you know, personally, um, I get a lot of people reach out because I'm doing great things, you know, right in the community and, um, people see what I'm doing and they think, and they hear about my past and they think, wow, how did you do it? You know, and they don't see the the behind the scenes or they don't see that, you know, from, I, I was last released from prison only five years ago in 2018. Um, so not a long time ago at all, but over that mm. five, people didn't see that that was a series of, of steps and a process to get where I am. Um, I think the key is to have the goal. If, if you really, really do want to change um, whatever that is in your life and you've got something to work towards, I mean, that's important. That's the most important thing. Um, there's a lot of people out there that don't want to change. They're happy doing what they're doing and, and that's fine. Um, but I think that's the key. The, the starting point really is, hey, I want to change. And and if you're at that point, then you're halfway there. Hmm. Um then it's, you know, if you can go and get some help or support. I mean, I worked with a psychologist for many years um, and other people as well. You know, I started studying. I started studying psychology because I wanted to understand myself better um, and overcome, yeah, some of the hurdles and things that I've experienced in my past. So I think that's the key thing, the key takeaway um, for people is that, you know, it doesn't happen overnight and don't get disheartened that, you know, you see people like myself and you hear their story and you think, oh, I just, you know, I sort of want to be like that guy he, he changed and, and has it all figured out. But I haven't always been this person, you know, that's talking now and it's just a serious, serious process. So that's my advice is you've just got to stick with it. Um, and it's hard, you know, there's going to be more hurdles and, and things that I, I still face them now, you know, um, I'm covered in taboos, so my appearance holds me back. Well, and, and and I'm so open about and transparent about, you know, my criminal history and being in prison. You know, that that holds me back as well because I'm in a space now where I'm I'm trying to be taken seriously and be professional and you know, as you mentioned, I think for office. Um, I want I'd expect people to vote for me. Um and you know, people sort of think, well, hang on a second this guy's from prison or, you know, this guy's a criminal. So, you know, it's, it's really hard to overcome that and you never will. And I think all that you need to do is just accept that you are who you are. Hmm. And that's definitely something that, you know, through this campaign that I'm working on, you know, I, I've just been as transparent as possible, you know, just, just to say, Hey, there's no skeletons in my closet. I'll, I'll talk about, you know, my, my deepest, darkest secrets and fears and things like that. And, and, you know, we get to see if that's going to work out for me or not in the long run. But, you know, I, I hope it does. And I hope it does encourage other people to think, well, you know what? You are who you are. When you go and look in the mirror, that's who you are. Um, you know, you can't change it. So hmm. I think moving forward, that's the key. Is it's, it's about accepting yourself and, and looking for those good qualities. You know, I can beat myself up all day and say, you know, I, I did so many wrong things in my past, yeah and went through a lot of trauma really because of that. You know, there, there was situations that I was in that weren't great for me, but I put myself there and I, I just, I can dwell on that. Um, and it gets me down. It, it, get, it makes me sad, you know, and, and I really just have to try and focus on the positives and 
you know, one of those is just helping people. And that's really, that's really what I'm about now is trying to help as many others as I can on the journey. And mm. um, that feel good about myself and it makes others feel good as well. So I focus on that and um, that makes me happy. Hmm. And um, did you want to go into it a little bit deeper about like uh, other key challenges um, that people or individuals face with um, addiction or any other insights that you wanted to probably sh share to help um, any of those people are currently uh, yeah, in that sort of situation? Yeah, look, it's, um, you know, the, the addiction space is, is interesting because, you know, I've gone to uh, AA meetings and also NA meetings and you've got people mm. there. The first time I went to a meeting, like, and there was a guy and, you know, he said, hey, look, my name's whatever his name was. Um, you know, I'm an alcoholic and, uh, you know, I've been sober for 30 years or something. Mm. And I'm thinking, what is this guy doing him? He's, so, he's sober. He's, he's been sober for 30 years. You know what I mean? Why is he still coming to a meeting? And um, it was obviously after I went to a few more meetings, I thought, you know, there's a few more people like that where they just they acknowledge that they have a problem and they, um, I, I guess they, they don't fall into that trap of thinking that they've dealt with it. They have, you know, overcome everything because we've seen that people relapse, you know, and, and people fall back into any ways. They fall off the wagon, you know, and that happens time and time again. So what I learned from that experience is that, you know, these people that acknowledge I've got this problem, they have the courage to go and seek help and go to meetings. And you know what? They've got the courage to keep doing it for, um, you know, a long time moving forward. So um, I think that's really incredible. Again, it goes back to it's a process, okay, and it's and you and you never, you never complete and you never fully healed, and mm -hmm. um, you, that's dangerous and it's scary. You know, when someone hears that, they think, oh, well, what's the point of trying? And it's you know, why should I bother? But you know, life can be so fulfilling and rewarding, and and is worth living. Um, Particularly in the mental health space, I, I, I've been suicidal before. I, I've attempted suicide. I've self-harmed. Um, I've overcome many hurdles and obstacles in, in that space. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think back to that person at that time. And, and if someone told me, hey, you're going to do all these things in the future and life will be worth living, I wouldn't believe them. Mm -hmm. um, I, I always think, what would I tell myself? You know, if I could go back in time and tell that person, and I, and I just don't know. I really struggle to think of um, an answer for that one. But I think it's... Um... If you love what you're hearing and want to support us, consider buying us a coffee on buymeacoffee.com forward slash ND podcast. That's N for November, D for Delta podcast. Your contribution will help fuel our podcast and bring you even more great content in the future. So thank you for being part of this podcasting journey. You just got to hang in there and make it through, find a way. And life is worth living. Um, you can overcome addictions and, and things, you know, things that they say that things come in twos and threes and things like that, but you know, your whole life changes. If you overcome an addiction, let's say, you know, your relationships change. You might, you might find a partner that's, um, you know, and, you know, fulfills you. Um, you know, you have kids and you, you get a good job because, you know, you're not an addict um, spending all your, you know, your money and your settlement benefits, you know, something on drugs. You, 
you're not committing crimes to uh, pay for your addictions. You you just become a member of society, and then before you know it, there's all these environmental factors around you that are also protective factors. You know, and and before you know it, you look back and you go, "Well, my whole life has changed." Yeah. So you're not becoming just that you know mental health issue or that um, addiction. Everything starts to change when you start addressing those issues, you know, and it's just welcome new people into your life. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, it's really amazing. I think to, to see that, I think of that more sound. Yeah. And, um, any, uh, like effective strategies or, um, interventions you have come across, uh, that help, uh, you know, rehab, um, and support youth crime, uh, youth involved in crime, offering them opportunities here for a better future. Look, the, the biggest thing I think is is for kids, especially specifically, mm. they need somebody to care about them. You know, I I know in my um, personal situation, I'd lost a lot of friends, family, you know, because of my offending behaviour and addictions and things like that. And I was very isolated and alone, um, spending time in prison. Mm. Um, and for me, I had a psychologist that. Uh, he just saw this potential and said, look, you're smart, you're well-spoken, you know, you can, maybe you can study. And he encouraged me to do really everything that I'm doing now. And um, I'm so grateful, but I just had someone to believe in me. So I know how powerful that is. And for these kids, a lot of them are coming from low socioeconomic areas. They might be being abused at home. And it could be maybe an uncle or an aunt, or it could be um, parents. And I find that, here in Cairns, especially, a lot of the kids that are out committing crime at night time, they're out there because they don't want to go home because it's it's dangerous, it's violent. You know, mum or dad uses uh, drug abuse or, or there's sexual abuse or things, you know, alcohol abuse. Um, so these kids, they're coming from a family environment that um, is not the traditional family environment where, you know, everyone cares for each other. This is an environment where um, we call it sort of histrionic um, generational trauma really is the term we give to it now, especially in the indigenous space. You know, we go back to white man settled. Obviously, that was very traumatic um, for indigenous people. You know, lives were lost. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of things that happened that weren't right. Um, and that generational trauma, it goes down through the generations. And well, what I mean like about that is, say we've got someone that's, um, you know, they've been torn away from their family let's say the stolen generation is a good example of that. The government took people from their indigenous homes and raised them somewhere else. The trauma of that, let's say that person grows up then because of that trauma um, and not having the the mental health help and support that they need, you know, they turn to drugs and alcohol abuse, which turns to criminality. And then by the Mm. time that kids, their kids are then growing up maybe out of father because he's in jail. Um, you know, again, low socioeconomic areas, and it's a really a cyclical relationship. So for a lot of these kids, um, you know, a lot of people sort of say, look, we should just take them from parents and things like that. And um, there's a lot of kids that are, and, and they're traumatized by that as well. You know, we put them in foster care systems where they're let down and bad things happen to them. And uh, we've got residential care up here, which is where we've got a sort of a house maybe 20 or 30 kids in it and a couple of carers and 
some of the stories that I've heard from from there about abuse and institutional abuse is, is just crazy. And we we expect these people to grow up and be, you know, these these pillars of the community and society. And that's just not the case. I mean, anyone that does it's it's really is a miracle because the odds are stacked against them. Mm. Their environment is against them. So really what we need to do is try and change that environment because if we start trying to change a couple of things in our environment, give them some support, have some people around them that are positive influences that believe in them, um, that care about them. I know one of the things that hurts kids more than anything these days is when they build a relationship with a, a youth justice worker or a child safety worker, their case worker, right? So mm-hmm. that's every week and they're, they're saying, look, um, do you need to go to the doctors and do you need to, do you need a phone or, you know, and they build these relationships and they really, really value them. And then what happens is that employee or that worker, they move and they get a job somewhere else mm. or their that case is taken from them and given to someone else. And then we find that these kids then get to a point where they don't trust anybody. Someone comes from the government to say, hey, I'm the new case worker and they and they hold back. They don't want to build that relationship with them anymore because they know look, it's a revolving door and you're going to be gone. Yeah. They've already pulled out yeah, their whole being into someone else. And yeah. And, mm. and I don't know what that looks like. I, I know, you know, the logistics of that is that that happens. People, you know, change employment and move around. And But I think internally, if we've got um, kids there that have those relationships, mm-hmm. I think the key to support that. Um, I almost feel like we're in a position now where in government agencies, um, if they have built relationships with, with kids that they, they then more so want to, you know, go and get them to start working with someone else because they, they sort of don't like it. They don't, and I get it. And they're trying to protect the child and, you know, make sure that get too close, but those relationships are really key and they're relationships that they're missing from their parents and siblings and things like that. So that's a, that's another key, I think, insight in that, in that area. Yeah, no, great. And great stuff and what you're doing uh, definitely in the community. And I, I see your heart in it, so it's really awesome, Shane. And um, a parting question, a legacy question. Um, when you pass on, what would you like to have been known for? Man, I, I, I was looking at these questions today and I thought it's such a difficult question because... Throughout my life, I would have answered it differently. Yeah, definitely. Uh, as you go through, and you, you change, you know, and you, you think mm. new from different perspectives. But I think now, you know, I'd like to be remembered as somebody that, somebody that made a difference. Um, I'm also aware that it doesn't have to be, you know, a, a huge difference. You know, I don't have to be Steve Jobs or, you know, Elon Musk or anything like that. Just making those small differences to the lives of young people, I think especially, and um, really anyone um, that I can, and sharing my knowledge um, from my past and and using it. You know, I want to be remembered as somebody that had experienced some trauma and had, had done the wrong thing. You know, don't forget that I had done the wrong thing on occasion, but that I used that, I grew from that, and I mm. used it to positively you know in a positive space to make a positive difference and um that's certainly what i'm doing now and I, i'd love to be remembered as, as someone that that did that yeah awesome oh, thank you for your for your time there appreciate your uh yeah. your sharing
and um, no worries. Great, great insights. Hey, Chris here. Thank you for listening to that episode. And if you'd like to hear any other episodes of mine, I'd know if differences. You can find me on Spotify or Apple or any other streaming platforms where you listen to your podcasts. Or feel free to send me a message on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Just search for Noteworthy Differences and you will be sure to find me. Thank you.